0: Excuse me, I'm
2: going to just get by there, a <laughs> <Thanks>, million. <laughs> hey, do you
1: want to go on my shoulders? What? Sorry, do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal,
0: thanks. Wow. 3 celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music. What's up, Hells fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Thank you guys for joining us.
1: I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on
0: contact cordell cordell.com 1065 east hillsdale boulevard suite 310 foster city california 94404 today we're going to briefly recap game one and then spend the bulk of our energy energy previewing game two now to help us do that we have on kevin barrios of the bird kevin how are you doing today sir i'm doing all right man i'm uh, recovering from uh
3: the excitement and inability to go to sleep last night and a day of bartending in the french quarter during
0: french quarter fest so i'm um, pretty worn out but other than that i'm doing pretty good I think all three of us are wiped out. I had to go to work uh, super early at about six a.m. this morning. Had a full day of that, uh, and the third member of our gang likewise has a five-month-old at home, and he is equally struggling. We have Steve DeWald of Blazers Edge. How are you recovering, sir?
2: Hey, man. I'm. Uh, I was at the game last night, so I'm having some tea to get my voice back. But other than that, it's been it's been an all right day. I wish uh, circumstances would be a little different, but. Congratulations on, on a solid game last night from the Pelicans.
0: Thanks, Kevin and I had everything to do with it. Uh, we both tried our hardest, and we managed to prevail, didn't we, Kevin? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Stephen. we're giving you a hard time, man. We know that you were in attendance of the game last night at the Moda Center. Tell us uh, briefly about some of the immediate reaction takeaways uh, at the final buzzer.
2: Um, I, I think the main thing at the end was just a lot of confusion from Portland fans, from bringing Myers, a, a ice cold Myers Leonard in off the bench to, and it just happened to be how that play worked out that he was the option that was going to get the ball. And so there was a lot of, a lot of disgust around that. And I think there's, there's a point where they had played so poorly for so long that when you get within a single point, you almost feel like, you know, the basketball gods are on your side and, you know, they're going to find a way to pull this out. And then for it to come that close to break your heart, you know, It was, it was a, it was a long walk out to the parking lot.
0: Now, before we get to some of the coaching decisions made by Terry Stotts, uh, we do have uh, a question from, let's see, I'll find it in a minute. Anyway, the point I was trying to say is in the final minute, there were three consecutive possessions where the Portland Trailblazers went for the easy two instead of going for the three. What were your thoughts in regards to some of Terry Stotts' choices, including uh, putting Myers Leonard into the game ice cold?
2: I, the Myers thing still kind of just baffles me. Like I, I feel like there there's other guys that were getting minutes that could run the same thing that he was doing. Now, granted, Myers is the more accomplished three point shooter of the of the big men. But I mean, Zach Collins had hit hit a three in the third quarter, and I'd feel a lot more comfortable with him in the game. I know he is a rookie, but um, as far as the quick twos, I think just the way Portland was shooting from downtown, they got a little hot at the end, but I, I think that they were going for the high percentage looks and that's usually how Terry Stotts operates is he saves it, you know, usually for a final three pointer on that last possession.
0: Now, Kevin, this one came down to the very final shot and four free throws uh, by Anthony Davis to ice this one. Our question from Solomon, do you feel like Alvin Gentry outcoached Terry Scott's? And obviously in the first half, there were some things that were working and weren't working. One of them being Solomon Hill got pulled after just six minutes and Czech Diallo got a lot of his minutes. But then in the fourth quarter, it seemed to me that Etwan Moore was doing a pretty efficient job of covering uh, CJ McCollum. And we talked about that in detail last night. But for a lot of the crunch time minutes last night, Ian Clark got the assignment. What did you think about Alvin Gentry versus Terry Scott's in that game?
3: Well, I think, uh, I mean, I think Alvin Gentry did a fine job. I thought the rotations were pretty good. I I know, like, you know, obviously Diallo didn't play that well in his minutes there. He had a couple of moments here and there. But I think Alvin has to keep trying him because, you know, you know he's not going to play Okafor uh, because he he doesn't want to slow down. Um, Diallo lets you run. He also provides you rebounding and rim protection, but he also is a basically a rookie with hardly any basketball experience. You know, we all know his backstory. So you have to live and die with uh, him making some mistakes here and there, but you just have to hope he gives you good minutes because playing at the pace that Alvin Gentry wants to play at, even though we started the game not really playing at that pace. Um you're going to wear down Anthony Davis and Miritich. So you need them to get, get a spell. And that's the only thing you could really question. I think last night would be if you questioned why Diallo over Okafor, it's just because what Diallo gives you athletically um, and game plan wise, but um, we need to have somebody that can give those guys some rest. Um, As far as Terry Stotts coaching, I mean, I think defensively drew was drew and, um, and Etuan were pretty locked in. Rondo was doing a pretty good job. So that was uh, shutting down the perimeter. You know, I think a lot of that was just some cold shooting from from uh, CJ McCollum also because, um, I mean, he's just been sort of in a slump lately, and luckily we caught him on a slump seemingly every time we played them this year, which has helped out. But I like the move of having Rondo and Evan Turner a lot uh, from Coach Gentry. And uh, as far as our, our perspective – You know, David Fisher put this out here out there on a podcast we did earlier about how that might tempt Terry Stotts to post up Evan Turner on Rondo, which we believe to be a good thing for us. And he did do that a few times. And I think if you can get um, Portland's offense running more through Evan Turner, that's a good thing for the Pelicans. And I think that uh, it's going to take some adjustment adjustment by Terry Stotts to try to do something to get those guys, uh, you know, Dame and CJ freer because we were trapping pretty hard and uh, Drew is just a phenomenal defender. So he needs to find a way to get Drew off of him, maybe some more screens or something. But I think, you know, that's what the first game is about, finding out what the opponent's going to try to do and make an adjust- adjustment. So I don't put too much on uh, coaching decisions in game one.
0: Okay, got it. Uh, a lot of good points in there that I want to unpack, uh, specifically some of the stuff about C.J. McCollum. Evan Turner had nine of the Blazers' first uh, points, and of course the Pelicans famously held C.J. and Dame to one of 15 in the first half. The question that I want to ask to you, Steve, I know that C.J. McCollum had been struggling heading into this one of the final uh, seven games of the regular season, 37% from the field, 26% from three-point range. Uh, what do you think uh, frustrated him so much uh, so early? Do you think it was shot selection, or do you think there was an element of not getting to the free throw line i know both these guys average 10 and a half shots per game and the two of them only got four in this matchup how does cj bounce back
2: i think a lot a lot of it just comes down to him just not hitting his shots i mean there was a lot of looks that he normally knocks down i mean granted he's been in a a slump recently but i mean he said after the game last night he's "If i shoot better in the first half i think we win this game and i think that might be a little bit of a stretch but because you guys played great first three quarters i mean up until the you know kind of last minutes you guys went in your slow down, kind of stretch the of game offense. Um, I think with CJ, it's getting those shots early and getting back to what kind of Kevin said is they, they got to find a way to get CJ and Dane open off the ball. And so I think, I, I think if it goes like this again and they struggle and Drew and more of that dialed in, I think you're going to see possibly a lineup with the three-point guards with Shabazz joining in there and maybe if New Orleans stays small, keep, keeping Evan Turner in there and just keeping a bunch of ball handlers out there and allowing these guys to move around without the ball and have a, plenty of guys out there that can handle it. Um, it, it, was, it was a rough night for CJ, but there was some nice, some good things that we saw in, in the third and fourth quarter that kind of give me reason for hope for game two.
0: Yeah, uh, Kevin, one of the points that he made uh, about making some adjustments with three-guard lineups, Shabazz Napier obviously took it to Rajon Rondo late in the third quarter, two consecutive possessions, uh, took him off the dribble and got right to the basket. And if the Blazers do want to target one of the Pelicans' big four, I think he would be the likeliest to get that nod from Terry Stotts. How do you think the Pelicans counter with this? Obviously, like just looking at the statistics, the Blazers out-rebounded, got out in fast break. They're not going to shoot as poorly as they did in game one. We know that for certain, and we know that they're going to find elements to attack guys like Rajon Rondo to get them off the floor so how the Pelicans respond to the Blazers coming in and possibly being more efficient on offense
3: yeah I mean I think um, like what you said is very true is Rondo was having a lot of trouble handling Shabazz's uh, speed so I think that's one adjustment we have to make is not have Rondo on him have whoever the other guard is guard him and then shift Rondo over even if that is Damian Lillard at that time And try to ride it out so you can get some more reinforcements in. You know, if you don't have three guards out there, is what I'm saying for us, of course. Um, But uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. What was the, can you touch up on that question again?
0: It was basically just the Pelicans managed to survive this one, and a lot of it was due to just poor shooting from Portland, yeah. 37.8%. So we know they're going to shoot better. They're uh, out-rebounding Pelicans 15-7 to on the offensive boards, uh, fast break points. They had 29. They pretty much led in every statistical ca- category except just efficiency shooting. So there's a lot of adjustments that the Pelicans are going to need to make as well once the Blazers do start shooting better. And where do you think those adjustments come?
3: Yeah, I think one thing is we talked about this before also is that Portland is that they're uh, a very good rebounding team, especially on the offensive glass. So we have to figure out ways to minimize their impact on the offensive glass, which is you know having to play a guy like Diallo every now and then to try to get more rebounding, um, try to stay a little bit bigger for stretches, even though we uh, tend to go small. But one of the main things that I thought could have lost us the game uh, Last night was turnovers, which we've been doing a very good job heading into the playoffs with turnovers. We cut them down a whole lot. We were like first in the first or second. I'm trying to remember in the in the NBA and, uh, and assist to turnover ratio over the last five games of the season, which is when we started to see Nikola Mirotic play center. Um, But last night, we got into some spots where we were turning the ball over early. And then in the third quarter, there was a lot of unforced turnovers or bad turnovers that let Portland back in the game. If we take those away and just sort of, you know, turn down their ability to get the offensive blast just a hair, then we can stay with them. Because you know that Portland is going to start hitting shots. That's just, you know, those two guys are phenomenal shooters and scorers. So you know that's going to come back for them at some point. Um, so we just have to limit those turnovers and try to minimize their dominance on the offensive glass. And if we can do that, then, you know, then it's just a I, I think this matchup is very even. I've been saying that all along.
0: And then it's just whoever is hitting
3: their shots at that point.
0: Now, Stephen, I want to talk about the big man rotation of the Portland Trailblazers because we were just talking about rebounds. And that was a definitive advantage last night for the Portland Trailblazers. Rajon Rondo was quoted after the game. Saying something along the lines of it's frustrating when you play an excellent uh, 24 seconds defensively and then you have to do it all over again on consecutive possessions. With that being said, Yusuf Nurkic, just 25 minutes and just seven shots. You've got Ed Davis out there, you've got 22. For Zach Collins, in his limited time, Nurkic had 11 rebounds. Ed Davis had 13. Ed Davis and Zach were getting a lot more run than I anticipated in terms of use of Nurkic just getting 25. Why do you think Nurkic only played 25, and would you expect him to play more in Game 2, or do you expect the same line of rotation?
2: I think it depends on if him playing more, depends on more what Stotts is going to want to do on the offensive end. If he's going to commit to – if the outside shooting is still lagging behind – and they're going to commit to really trying to generate some offense through the post. I could see Nurkic playing more, but with New Orleans' a small lineup, with you guys playing Miritic and, and Davis at the same time, it's, it's really tough for Nurkic to stay out there on those guys. Like, there was a few, I mean, he came out guarding Davis, and, you know, Davis got everything he wanted on the offensive end for, for the most part in that first half, and then, well, really for the whole game and then Miritich, there was a little bit where he was on him and they had a menu on Davis and it's just you're pulling Nurkic so far out of his comfort zone when he's on the floor that it's not he's not really useful it's it'd be it'd be better to have a guy like Davis or Collins on the court because they're they're more equipped to play that style
0: Definitely. So anticipate a lot more, Ed Davis. And I think it was in your report that I, I was reading a couple of articles on Blazer's Edge uh, this morning and late last night that uh, the the crowd was a bit quieter than you're used to it being in the Motor Center, mostly because a lot of people aren't really familiar with Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis, or maybe they quietly respect them, not so much in the way that uh, people openly uh, hate or I guess jealousy could ensue of like the Golden State Warriors and their success, being that you guys are on the, the same coast and play each other so many times per year, four times per season. But Ed Davis was one of the guys who, got one of the loudest ovations um from the fans at the Moda Center. Talk about the effect and some of the energy that he brings when he's out on the court.
2: So just real quick on the on the crowd thing with I think for for Portland we've played two our, the last two playoff series we played were against Golden State and when Golden State plays this stadium is it's it feels like it's 50-50 it's more probably like 75-25 but it's loud even in lulls for the Blazers because you have the, those opposing fans. Not that the Portland crowd is quiet or anything, but I also feel like people weren't really familiar with Drew Holiday or Miritich. And when those guys got going, it was kind of like, okay, who are these guys? Like I know Anthony Davis, but I don't know these guys. And so I think there was like this feeling out process. Now, as far as, as for the second part of the question, um, I, sorry. He touched no, that's my question. fault. Again,
0: I, yeah. I talk in circles around myself. It was just about the, the energy that Ed Davis oh. brings to the floor. And do you think that's something that the Blazers might capitalize on and give him a couple more minutes to bring that energy off the bench?
2: I, I think as long as he is, he's able to keep his defensive assignment, they're, they're, they want to keep him on the floor, especially if he's out of foul trouble, just because he generates so much offense. Now, if the offense is clicking and Dame and CJ are hot, There's not really as much of a demand for him out there. I mean, on the defensive end, it's definitely valuable. But on a night where the shots aren't coming easy, he's so valuable to have because he generates all those second-chance points with his offensive rebounds
0: now so too kevin the pelicans were having uh struggles on the bench obviously ian clark had that huge fourth quarter shot that three-point range when the blazers were uh throwing haymakers at them and we almost thought that our pelicans were going to go down somewhere around that six minute mark when they they shortened that gap from 75 63 at the end of the third uh i can't remember specifically where it happened but i remember it was 93 to 92 in the final minute but other than that ian clark not a a a definitive impact four or five he was very efficient offensively a negative 12 on the night of course he was paired against damian lillard and cj mccollum whenever they kind of had their renaissance in the second half. But with that being said, we mentioned Solomon Hill, just six minutes, didn't uh, do a lot. He had that first three-pointer in the third quarter, and then he had an air ball immediately following it. Darius Miller, zero points in 14 minutes, just took one shot. And, of course, we've already talked about Cech Diallo. How does the Pelicans bench rotation get affected in game two? Yeah, I mean,
3: Ian Clark was fine. He was he played well, and you saw him in the cl- uh, finishing five, which was good because we've been pretty happy with the way – dean clark's been playing for a while um you know as far as the other guys darius has been pretty bad for a little while now he's had you know a moment here or there but he just like we've always said he just lacked he sometimes lacks aggression and confidence and he needs to uh start shooting again and start demanding the ball and pump faking off the three-point line getting them an easy two somehow either uh you know, at the rim with a floater or a layup or a mid-range two, which he's very good at, or, you know, he does move the ball well, uh, but we want him to be more aggressive because we need more scoring off the bench. And as far as Solomon Hill, I mean, he's a guy that we don't, we're not really expecting a lot from still as he's working his way back from injury and you always are not expecting a lot from him offensively because he's there to be a perimeter defender. Um, That being said, he's, He's had a lot of uh, sort of brain farts lately and with easy turnovers, unforced errors. Um, he just needs to get his head in the game. We've always thought also like Darius Miller, that he's, you know, he's a guy that, that when he's confident, he's hot. And when he's not, he's completely off. And I thought for a second, when he hit that three, that I was like, okay, are we going to see that Solomon playoff Solomon Hill? Is that a thing? Like that got him the payday that he got in that uh, Toronto series or that we saw in New Orleans uh, in that Houston game last year when he got really hot. Um, but unfortunately it just still hasn't clicked in for him offensively. Um, hopefully he can make himself more useful, at least not have those turnovers or, you know, those bad passes to no one that he's been having. And just cause he's been doing okay, crashing the glass and making a few plays here and there, even if he's not contributing offensive, you know, scoring wise. Uh, But, yeah, we need another guy besides Ian Clark to step up off the bench to uh,
0: survive the series for sure. Steve, if the Pelicans do continue their barrage against C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard and C.J. and Dame aren't able to shoot out of it early in the first quarter and the offense continues being piloted by Evan Turner, uh, what is he capable of on that end? We saw just 6 of 15 the other night, but in the first quarter alone, like we mentioned, uh, nine points. He gave the Blazers that I, I think it was 27-26 advantage going into the second quarter. How much can the Blazers rely on him to carry the team offensively if the backcourt is struggling?
2: I mean, it, it starts in the post for him. I think that gets him in his comfort zone. He, he operates where he's operated basically his entire NBA career is in the mid-range and, and up close. And he's, he's got a decent post-up game, but, I mean, like, it's not ideal uh, by any means. Uh, he's had his moments shooting from three, but it's definitely of the catch-and-shoot variety, so it's going to involve, you know, Dame and CJ finding him because most of the time they're going to be the ones with the ball. So if they're locked up, it, it makes it a little bit tougher. Um, I'd like to see him, you know, maybe pass a little bit more out of that block because he does put his head down a little bit when, when it's time for him to score very seldom. You see that ball come back out as when he's really looking for his shot. So it's uh, that would be something I would, I would look for, look for um, the big thing is how fast Maurice Harkless can get back cuz he's probably the best cutter on this team and if you have Evan working on that on that block trying to play bully ball you know having having a guy like Harkless who's got you know really good instincts as far as crashing that baseline that that would be huge to create a little more offense when he gets back
0: Definitely, and I just saw on Twitter during the shoot-around today, he was doing resistant band training. Uh, he was doing sprinting and shuttle drills. So that arthroscopic knee surgery is slated to return him to action on Thursday in New Orleans. But do you think there's any kind of possibility that he might be available by Tuesday?
2: I I really, I I mean, as a Portland fan, I, I hope you don't push his injury because we have a little bit of a history with that. Um, I would say... I would be surprised. Um, I feel like they'll probably go into game two going, you know, shooting's a little bit better in the first half. I think this is a game that, you know, it turns out a little differently for us. If it it was really – if it was more than the deficit it was at the end, I think they might try to maybe rush him back a little bit. But I I think this team probably has to feel with their second-half performance – and how bad they played in the first half, that they probably feel like they're going to at least be able to, uh, to protect home court on Tuesday.
0: I'm going to ask this of both of you. I'll start with Kevin. This is a question from Solomon. He's basically asking who is going to be the fifth best player for each team. Obviously, for the Pelicans, you've got your big four, and then you've got some version of Etwan Moore and Ian Clark being that crunch time uh, guy who gets those minutes. Last night was Ian Clark, but we saw Etwan Moore play the majority of the minutes. Ian Clark played just 25, where Etwan Moore played 27, kind of neck and neck there. Who do you think is going to be the fifth best player in this series for the Pelicans?
3: Um, I'm going to go with Ian Clark. Uh, you know, I'm a big Etwan Moore guy, but I just think he's he's on the court most like he starts on the court with Rondo, uh, Holiday, Davis and Miritich. So those guys are going to be the guys who are looking to score are going to have the ball in their hands. So he just it's sometimes gets a little bit of a diminished role. And we know that he's not uh, un, he's another guy who's not super aggressive Um all the time. You know, he has his moments where he'll, you know, he'll try to take over a game, but for the most part, he considers himself a B option, I'd say. Um, so he's while he'll get some open looks, uh, he won't be a guy that's getting a lot of touches. Whereas Ian Clark, when they usually bring him in, he's either in there to be the secondary ball handler or uh, you know, more of a scorer. And he's usually out there with less of the starting lineup. So until the crunch time, obviously. So um, I think he just has the opportunity to to score the ball more, and he
0: also has that mentality to want to. Um, so I, I would go with Ian Clark there. And for you, obviously, you're hoping that Mohawk List is going to get back. He's been shooting 42% from three-point range on the year, but I think those numbers are a bit deceiving because I, I remember he was really rusty the first two months, and then he's been on fire ever since, So you're obviously very anxious that he's going to get back. But disregarding him, who is the fifth most important player going into game two? Uh, would you say Shabazz Napier, al Farouk Aminu, or someone that we're not aware of?
2: I, I, I'm i trying to think about, I was thinking how you'd rank it. So, I mean, obviously you have the backcourt and Nurk, and then it's kind of, you know, four or five could either be interchangeable, Evan Turner or al Farouk Aminu for me. I think Aminu is so important to what goes on defensively that I, I would almost rank him as as fourth. And so I would say it's probably Evan Turner. I mean... We've we've touched on what his if you know how important it is for him to be a positive on offense and really on defense. In some of those switches, he's going to find himself on on uh, Anthony Davis every once in a while. He's going to find himself on Nikola Mirotic, so he's got to stay sharp on those assignments, which usually isn't a problem. And I, I think if Holiday heats up, he's going to find himself on Holiday too. So he's kind of the, that Swiss Army knife along with Alfred Camino on the defensive end.
0: Follow-up question, Steve. Uh, We talked about how Rajon Rondo can possibly get played off the floor if the Blazers are able to take advantage of him defensively on the Pelicans' defensive side of the floor. We know that Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis aren't going anywhere. With that being said... Uh, the Blazers are going to have to take away one of these guys. Of course, holiday had 21 and Davis had 35. Do you think the game plan going into game two is to allow these guys to get theirs or to possibly start trapping Anthony Davis, the way the Pelicans did with Damon and CJ and just force other guys around them to beat you.
2: I, I think with Portland is the, all year. Their defense has been focused on not letting guys get three point shots. or good ones. They want to force guys into the mid range. So I, I think this, I think, There's not. I think at the end of the day, I think Portland probably realizes there's not a whole lot they can do to slow down Anthony Davis, so I think it's going to come down to kind of, you're going to live with what Davis is going to do for the most part, but you have to limit how much he involves his other teammates, and you're definitely going to have to cut into Holiday's effectiveness.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's that's uh, something that the Pelicans relied on uh, in the fourth quarter. Drew Holiday was largely responsible for that 14-0 row run in the second quarter. And in the fourth quarter, whenever the Pelicans needed a bucket, uh, Drew Holiday was able to be there to get one for them. Kevin, let's see. What do we have left? We've got a couple of questions, and obviously they're all geared uh, around. I definitely want to give a shout-out to Waka Waka Wakanda. Uh, great question. Just uh, do you think that Drew is the defense player of the year? Steven Scarpula has, has a, a similar question about adjustments that I think we did did a good job of answering. Uh, with all the national attention that Drew Holiday is going to be getting, do you think that this has a, a major effect on whether or not he gets first-team All-NBA, which thereby would give him a $100,000 incentive towards that big incentive-laden contract?
3: Well, I think all the votes were in before the playoffs, weren't they? I mean, it's a, it's a regular season award, so I don't think uh, his performance in this series is going to affect that at all. But I think if people didn't know this already about him they're probably going to wish they voted another way especially if they go back and look over the last month uh because you and I know i mean he's been an amazing perimeter defender every night making one or two or three plays defensively that you're just like how did he do that while constantly giving you incredible uh steady defense so i don't know that i don't think his status as on the um all defensive team will be affected by the series because I don't think it can. Um, but um I mean he obviously we all think he deserves first team. Um if not he's definitely he'll he'll definitely be second
0: team. But I, I can't see anybody in the guard position that you can put over him at the moment. All right. Thank you for our questions from Mon Christian and Bud Land. Uh this one's for you and this one will kinda wrap us up, Steve. Uh, one thing that we were talking about on the podcast, uh, several podcasts, I'm not sure if it was the one we discussed with you on Friday was basically that the Pelicans are road warriors, 24 and 17 uh, on the road, as well as at home. We figured that they were going to come out with a lot of fight in the Moda center. And we figured that they were also going to play well with that being said, the Pelicans have dealt with adversity all year long. And and the story, the stories are all old by now, but with the Blazers, uh, they've had remarkable injury luck to this point in the season with Mo Harkless being uh, the lone caveat there with that being said, Said, in your opinion how do the blazers usually react from adversity like this
2: I, I this team definitely wasn't living up to expectations this year and they went on that 13 game winning streak and they were a completely different team after the all right right before the all-star break and then after the all-star break is when the streak went on um same story with the year prior to that and the year prior to that was a year where they weren't supposed to be in the anywhere near the playoffs after Lamarcus Aldridge left, uh, Damien Lillard's a pretty cool customer, and he definitely sets the tone for that entire locker room. So I, I don't think there's a lot of panic. I think that guy has ice water in his vein. In his veins, I don't think it's ideal that you know you coughed up home court advantage in the first game, but I, I think you're going to see a fo- a very focused team and a a Damian Lillard that's out to kind of redeem that first half from game one
0: Steve if there's some adjustment going into game two that maybe us Pelicans fans that haven't been watching every game the Blazers have been playing this season would not notice or think might come to pass what would that be
2: um I I think defensively I think you're gonna probably see probably Aminu come out on onto Davis earlier um, and I think you're just going to kind of hope Miritich has an off night. I mean, that's just – on the defensive I end, mean, that's just kind of me thinking. I think also on offense, you could see Evan Turner really just being that primary ball handler and really just trying to get CJ and Dame open without the ball. I think that those are probably the two biggest things for me. And then, you know, I, I think probably – sending Davis in almost a little earlier even than he was in the first in the first game
0: and kevin what did you think about the second quarter rotations that the pelicans employed with miritich side by side with czech diallo do you think the pelicans remain with that rotation or do you think they change up things there
3: yeah i think you got to give it uh you know a chance to work uh you know you can't expect diallo to come out the first time and um you know not let the moment get to him. Uh, like we said, he's very inexperienced, but um, physically and skills-wise, he's what you need in as the reserve, and I think he works very well with Miritich because he is that up-court sprinter, that lob catcher, that cutter that Anthony Davis is, and he's also a, a, you know, a solid rebounder and rim protector. Um, and it, and it, Miritich allows uh, him some space to operate down there. Um, so, I think that's the way to go. I think if it if it looks like an absolute failure, and if it looks like it's going to cost you um, a game, then you know you have to reconsider. But I think at the moment you need to let them take some bumps, but to be ready because with the way Gentry wants to play, we need Diallo. So if 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 it's just this series, we still need him. If it's into the next series, if we were able to advance past Portland. You need the yellow ready to play in the playoffs and in the moment. So you need to keep giving them minutes. Um, you know, you can be cautious about the way you do it, but you have to get them ready.
0: All right, Steve. Game two, Tuesday night. It's going to be 10.30 Eastern time, 9.30 Central, and 7.30 Pacific. I'm extremely jealous of you for being on the Pacific and getting these games so early. Uh, I was up until I think 1.45 uh, a.m. Eastern is when the game uh, ended over here. Talk about what you think will is going to transpire. Talk about some of Terry Stott's adjustments and whether or not the Blazers walk away with the win on Tuesday.
2: I, I think... I I, honestly, I don't think Stas is going to panic too much game plan wise. I I think this is, you know, stay the course, hope some more shots fall. This team really doesn't panic. Damian Lillard doesn't panic. Um, I think you're going to see a much different team. I think there, there's some guy, I don't know about the team, but I know as fans, I think there was a lot of people that thought this series was the ideal matchup they wanted. So they thought that the Pelicans were just going to roll over and I, I think that's going to be a little bit different. And I think that the Motor Center will probably be even louder on Tuesday because they know what's at stake to go down O two on your home court. So I, you know, I'm I'm hoping for a different result. But it all comes down to, you know, stop, stopping Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday because when they needed a basket, they they got it when they in big moments, and that was that was a huge concern for me.
0: Kevin, the Pelicans have won six in a row, and it would be highly improbable for them to take two from the Portland Trailblazers floor. With that being said, they might have built some kind of level of confidence and momentum to get them into another victory. What do you think will happen? And talk a bit more about some of those adjustments that you believe will take place.
3: Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think, like I said, I think this series, the teams are very evenly matched, even though they they play different styles. I just think across the board, if you simulate them, uh, you know 50 times out of 100 each team wins the series so um, I think it's hard to win in Portland I think they're gonna drop the next game however if they won it wouldn't necessarily surprise me because I like I said I think they're very evenly matched I think what you will see from Portland more is you know let Davis get his a little bit um, and try to shut down on holiday like we said Um, and I think what they're gonna do is also try to bait Holiday into taking threes because he isn't, you know, that's his main weakness offensively is, is being a three point shooter. So they're going to try to offer him that instead of letting him uh, get to the mid range or get to the basket. And I think you're going to see them start to dare, uh, you know, Etwan one more uh, to score as well, because you're obviously going to be less scared of him than uh, drew and, and AD, but I think also from the Pelican standpoint, uh, they it, when Nurkic is out there, they need to attack him more and pick and roll, and they need um, Drew to be a scoring threat to take it to the rim, not look to pass every time. Um, and that could get their bigs in foul trouble, and it also could get some easy buckets as they have to decide between Drew or AD who to collapse on and who to leave open. Um, so I think those are the adjustments both teams should make, and we'll see what happens.
0: Kevin, a uh, quick follow-up question. My main concern going into Game 2 is the play of playoff Rajon Rondo. He was brilliant uh, last night. Of course, we've mentioned in detail what the Blazers can do to take him off the court. Do you think he enjoys as successful a Game 2?
3: I mean, I think, uh, you know, he's been playing steady lately. Obviously, where he causes issues for us sometimes is on defense. And and as long as Alvin Gentry – I mean, Alvin Gentry saw the same game we saw. so he saw that Shabazz was giving him trouble because of his quickness. So I think they're going to just move him to somebody else when Shabazz is out there. And I, I don't see a different Rondo out there. I mean, you might see him take a few more shots here and there in in games, if he's feeling himself or if they're leaving him wide open. But other than that, I feel like the Rondo that we saw, we're going to get, we know he's a very creative passer, so he's going to get those assists and he's, Defensively, he was locked in pretty well, too, except for, you know, like we said, he struggled against a quicker, smaller guard. Um, But I I don't I don't expect much uh, up and down with him, honestly.
0: All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the latest edition of The Bird Calls. Tomorrow night, we will be back with the Blazers Edge editor and award-winning journalist, David McKay, as well as our own editor-in-chief, Ali Cosell. Please send any questions to me at Preston Ellis and any negative feedback at Kevin B for Bounce. Steve, thank you again so much for your time. Where can our fans follow your work and become experts on the Blazers and more of their game plan going into game two? So
2: all my work goes on to BlazersEdge.com and I'll be doing the in arena reports. Usually that come out the next day. Um, on Twitter, you can follow me at Steve D hoops. And that's usually how you find all my content.
0: Great guy. I appreciate your time as always, Steve. And we're going to keep having him back up until this series is over. Uh, it could potentially go all the way until May 1st. So hopefully we'll be talking a lot to Steve. Thank you to you again. And Kevin, uh, anything you're working on, sir, that we should be privy to. Um, nothing at the
3: immediate moment. I think I, I teased about that Um, check the aloe shirt and I should have like a good, almost uh readiness, like uh, a pretty good draft of it tomorrow that I can show people and see if, you know, they like it or not. But other than as far as writing goes, I don't have anything in the immediate pipeline, but I know, uh, game five, if there is a game five, which I think we all expect, um, I'll be doing the recap so you can look for that
0: very cool and i'll be on that preview i'm preston Ells. thank you guys for tuning in remember if you have a moment please go over to itunes give us a five-star rating and keep your eyes glued to thebirdrights.com and our twitter twitter handle at the we've got a ton of content coming out all week everybody's all hands on deck so make sure you check that out and for now let's go pals We hope you've enjoyed listening to The Bird Calls on OTG and Nothing But Nut here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the...
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.
2: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars.
0: Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.